can't pay the IRS, haven't filed in a while, receiving threatening letters? Yeah, it's about to get worse. The IRS is hiring an army of agents targeting hardworking Americans like you. You need warriors on your side. You need Tax Network USA. Tax Network USA has brilliant strategies to solve your IRS problems quickly and in your favor. For instance, they've discovered a limited-time special offer that the IRS is willing to waive $1 billion in penalties. Find out if you qualify before it's too late. Never call the IRS alone. Let Tax Network USA attorneys handle it. They have preferred direct lines to the IRS. They know which agents to work with and which to avoid. They've resolved over $1 billion in tax debts and offer a best-in-class guarantee. Schedule your free consultation now. Call 1-800-245-6000. That's 1-800-245-6000. Or visit TNUSA.com slash Victor. TNUSA.com slash Victor. And welcome to the Victor Davis Hansen Show. This is the Friday edition, and we'd like to do a news roundup, or at least Sammy Wink's roundup of the news. And Victor has lots of comments on those news stories. Today, we're going to be looking at January 6th, the universities and censorship, and not the universities and censorship, but university policies, actually, and then censorship as a separate topic. And the Democratic Party's fate, and maybe if we have a few moments, we'll talk about the Elizabeth Holmes verdict on January 3rd. But first, let's have a word from our sponsor. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. All right, welcome back. And Victor, how are you doing today? Very well. Very, very well. There's been a lot going on this week, and so I wanted to talk first about January 6th, since we've had so much hoopla from the Democrats on it. I was just reading a really great, I want to mention this because it's in American Greatness, and it's by Julie Kelly. She often does a very good job on not just the fact that it wasn't an insurrection, which we've talked about many times, but the role of the FBI. And so the article was about the role of the FBI in the January 6th event and the fact that we really don't know too much about it because the Attorney General Merrick Garland refused to answer what was going on, you know, obviously citing that it's sensitive material for one reason or another. But she talked about all sorts of things, questions that have been left unanswered about 
FBI agents being on the scene. And so I don't know if you want to talk about that angle of January 6th, but do you have things to say to us about January 6th? By the way, everybody, that was a great article in American Greatness by Julie Kelly. Yeah, it was. Well, what I don't understand about January 6th, and this is the one-year anniversary, is the word insurrection or revolution or conspiracy, because that would imply a level of planning, articulation, communications that would have been picked up by whom? The FBI. So the FBI ran an investigation, and they quickly found that it was not a conspiracy or insurrection. So that should have ended it, but it didn't. And so why didn't it end? And it didn't end because as of August 2021, Joe Biden's ratings tank. We hadn't heard much about January 6th, if you think about it. They really blew it up, and they there was Liz Cheney and Kissinger, uh, Adam Kissinger, and they're all this stuff. And But the left said, you know what, it was an insurrection. We don't care what anybody says. And then Joe Biden's got a 55%. Approval rating, we run Congress, ha, ha, ha. And then he bombed after Afghanistan, and then inflation, and then the border attention, and then the critical race theory, and then all of a sudden he was down to 40%, and his issues were lower. Then it changed the narrative in September, October, November to if they win, i.e. Republicans, the midterms, democracy's lost. If they win the 2024, Trump will have an insurrection again. Insurrection, insurrection, insurrection. And so it was a useful 1933 Reichstag fire where four, why was it four or five weeks before Hitler became chancellor, he had to declare a state of emergency. And it was very useful because what came out of January 6th, it, Mark Milley and Austin suddenly announced to the country that they were ferreting out all of these white supremacists. Where they were, nobody seemed to know. And they were going to go through the ranks. And you can see some of the things that have happened. People who were being drummed out on vaccination, even if they had acquired immunity and they're being drummed out, they may fit some of those rubrics and they're gone. And yeah. it really gave the Democrats the issue the issue. They had no other issues. They didn't want to talk about the border, inflation, the economy in general, energy production, critical race theory, Afghanistan, nothing but January 6th. And then we come to the next step. If there wasn't an insurrection, what was it? Well, it was a spillover crowd of buffoons and clowns <laughs> that went in and they broke into the House chambers and they had a, a wild old time. They desecrated it. They they committed low-level felonies, and they should all be arrested. They were the people that, during the Kavanaugh hearings, the left went in to the Supreme Court uh, gallery, remember, and that when they were doing the hearings, they went in, and there were people disrupting it, and then, mm -hmm. I shouldn't say the Supreme Court, the congressional galleries, they confronted senators and elevators, and we had Chuck Schumer outside the Supreme Court building, railing, Kavanaugh, Gorsuch, we're coming after you. And it was the Ohio legislature when the teachers and, you know, about the union mandatory dues and all, it was all that stuff, but they did, they got away with it more. And that's the question. Okay. So the right says it's not an insurrection and agrees with the FBI. The left says it's my, our Reichstag fire. So how do we adjudicate it? The only way you can adjudicate it 
is to have an investigation. So how do we have investigations in the House? The majority says, okay, we've got seven or we've got nine or we've got 12, whatever, and you're going to get one less. Go pick your guys and we'll pick our guys. So McCarthy picked his guys and they said, no, we don't want that guy and that guy and her. We want people like Liz Cheney. So from the start, it was flawed. The second thing was the investigation, they'll never deal with the anomalies of January 6th. If we really want to find out what happened, there is a series of about six questions that could easily resolve it. Question number one, do we all agree that the media lied when they said Officer Sicknick was murdered by a Trump fanatic supporter by having his head bashed in. And then when that was refuted, alternate narrative, he died from bear spray. And when that was a lie, then it was a stroke or some natural occurrence. Can we agree, number two, that when you had those flashy headlines, five killed in Trump rampage, that of the five dead, Four, maybe one was bashed or hurt or trampled violently, but four were pretty much not killed at the hand of the other. But one was a petite, 105-pound small businesswoman, 14-year military veteran, Ashley Babbitt, who was unarmed and committed a felony by going through unlawfully a window into the Capitol, okay? We don't kill people in the United States for that. There were armed SWAT guards in the vicinity. They didn't use their weapons on her. We had an officer with a dubious record, we found out, not because we were told, but it leaked. Remember, in America, when you shoot an unarmed suspect, your name is in the paper, in your picture, and you're everything. Your persona non grata, not this person. We didn't hear until he confessed because he was worried his name would leak out. But no one talks about that now. In fact, to the degree they talk about, they they have turned her into some kind of pervert or a conspiracy nut and denigrated her character. So much for the Me Too movement. And then we come to the armed insurrection. I went back and looked at all the headlines. Armed insurrection, but nobody inside the Capitol had a firearm much less used it. There were a couple of people that might have been arrested that had something in their car or something, but it wasn't an armed insurrection. So the FBI said it was an insurrection. There were nobody killed on the side of law enforcement. I guess you can argue that the stress got to Officer Sicknick, and it was stressful. And then the sixth question that has, why did it happen? They saw this big crowd. They were told to get officers. Why not just release all the videos, all the information that was filmed on cameras everywhere, all the electronic communications concerning the Capitol Police and their deployments, and let's get it out. And let's see if there's anything wrong. They won't do that. And you know what happens when people don't do things. The suspicion is they don't want to have the truth out because it's embarrassing to them. I don't know if that's true, but that is the impression that one gets. And then finally, it's the question of equal protection and treatment under the law. So you have these buffoons and clowns and they're arrested. And most of them don't know what the hell they're doing or why they're there. Some of them do. The guy with the buffalo horns or whatever costume he had, the other guys. And then they go into jail and some of them are still in jail and they haven't been charged with specific crimes. None of them have been charged with insurrection or treason. They're treated terribly by the guards from what we know. 
they're in Washington, D.C., where they're not going to get a jury representative of their peers. It's politicized and weaponized, and it's in stark contrast to the 120 days of rioting, looting, arson, violent assault, over 30 people killed, murdered, over 2,000 officers injured, over $2 billion of property damage inflicted, and 14,000 thousand people arrested, most of whom charges were dropped. Even the guy, remember the Chaz, uh, what was that? An independent autonomous zone? Yeah. Where's that guy today? I don't think he's in jail. He just mm-hmm. basically said, this is my land and I'm taking it over and screw <laughs> you. And then we have the final question is, when we, this is a carryover from the supposed kidnapping plan against Governor the governor of Michigan, but we found out as many people who were planning that were FBI informants as perpetrators, would-be perpetrators. So we have all of these, we know the FBI was showing up at the Virginia school teacher. So why not just tell us how many FBI informants or what they were doing or who this guy is that's egging on? Let's just get it all out. And they won't do that because it's a useful tool to say that Donald Trump is Hitler and these are insurrectionists and you got you can't let them back in power because democracy will be dead. Translated that means we had a chance of a lifetime. We controlled the House, we controlled the Senate, we had the presidency, we put in a neo-socialist, hard leftist Jacobin agenda. It screwed things up royally. No one likes us, no one likes the agenda. We're gonna lose big time. What do we do? Let's blame it on the insurrection and Donald Trump's corpse. There you got it. That's all you need to know about it. Can I ask you one thing, though? And it's kind of a side point, but I don't know if we've talked about this before, if you've talked with Jack about this, but what happened with Liz Cheney? I mean, that she made such a serious mistaken choice. I understand that. I've met her once and I found her and her husband and her children very nice. I met Dick Cheney. I found him sober and judicious. I always thought he did a good job. He was, but here's what I don't understand. What they did to Dick Cheney was beyond belief between the years 2005 and he was Darth Vader. Remember he had an accidental shotgun and he was all but a killer when he injured a friend in a hunting accident. He, people prayed for his heart transplant to fail. They called him a Nazi. They destroyed the Cheney family. That's what the left did. So she should be very sensitive to the ability of the propaganda left to destroy people. And that should, Warner, number two, I may be mistaken, but I think she had a very favorable voting record in the Trump agenda. In other words, that was why she was a House whip a third-ranking Republican. In other words, she had a record of promoting the Trump agenda. So whatever she thinks now about Trump, she did more than most people to make sure that his agenda was successful. Okay. Yeah. So then this thing happened. And I have no problem with people who say it it was reckless of Donald Trump in a very tense situation to have all of these supporters 
in the capital and then to say now go over and demonstrate peacefully he did say peacefully yeah that's, that's left out but even if he said go over and demonstrate peacefully when the representatives are adjudicating the state electors slate of electors because whether you like it or not we crossed the rubicon on that election i think what damage was done to trump was done in march april and may when the state legislatures and key states were stripped of their control of the balloting procedures and we had mail-in balloting with 104 102 million ballots and the the rejection rate decreased by a magnitude of 10 in most states that's where the election was probably lost i don't think at that point it was kind of like hillary clinton with a wink and a nod, getting her Hollywood C team to make those commercials in 2016 to beg the electors, please, please, electors, don't do what you don't give us Trump. You can still just theoretically, <laughs> they can. It was all legal. I mean, if, if yeah. you, you just something that Aristotle said once, it's not done. By that, he meant it's legal, but it's not done. Because if you start to reject batches of electors that are selected by the states who are entrusted with reflecting the official state tally, then you've opened a can of worms. And when that's what Hillary tried to do in 2016 through surrogates, it won't work. So my point is that, and then we haven't even talked about Zuckerberg and pouring 419. It's all documented pretty well in Molly Hemingway's very good book, Rigged. By rigged, she didn't mean that she's a conspiracy she just meant that there was so much money and so much um, advocacy during the entire election year they ended up uh, conducting an election that we'd never seen before and that's how trump lost but the point is that uh, that was not going to happen so you could argue that was kind of naive and they shouldn't have been there and it was counterproductive and it hurt trump and it lost him two seats so had he just said I have objections to the way the election was conducted. And I think that the way that these state legislatures were emasculated is contrary to the Constitution. And in a a sober and saner moment, I think I will prevail in court. But I don't think, given American customs and traditions, I can overturn the electors. But I tell you what I am going to do. I'm going to go down to Georgia and I'm going to make sure those two socialists do not win Senate seats. Because if I don't do that and my team doesn't get out to vote and they stay home or the suburban soccer mom and her husband think that I protest too much, then we're going to have socialism because they're going to control the Senate with Kamala Harris's vote. And then I'm going to come back and be your worst enemy in 2022 and barnstorm the country. Had he done that, I think he'd be and everything would be different today, but I'm not going to double guess his behavior because I have never seen a president in my life that 11 days into office, people were writing articles that we should have a coup. Rosa Brooks wrote that in foreign policy, or we should get rid of them through impeachment, or there were 60 House members that filed impeachment, or Madonna said she dreamed of blowing up you know, the White House, or Kathy Griffith held a facsimile that was beheaded. And then we went into Robert Mueller, and we were off to the races with two impeachments. So, No, I and I've never seen a president go into office and start immediately to do all the things he promised to do in his campaign. He did. That's what Donald Trump did. Yeah, he surely did. And that's why they hated him. They they hated him even more so because he was not just 
It wasn't just that he did it, but he did things that really worked. And we had the lowest minority unemployment in history, and we had one of the lowest yeah. peacetime. And this country was booming and energy. We were self-sufficient. We were pumping two to three million barrels more of oil. Race was starting to disappear, and the division was more of class. It was ecumenical. And that's why they hated him. All right. So can we turn then to the next topic, which was, I saw this article in The Atlantic, which is tends to be very left-wing, as you well know, by a journalist, Emily Oster. And she was saying a very unleft thing. And that was that universities going online is a mistake. And it, quote, reflects on outmoded level of caution. And it represents a failure of universities to protect their students' interests. And she goes on to talk about how students have been low risk from the get-go. Universities have been at the forefront of requiring vaccination. So you have a whole population of low-risk vaccinated individuals, and yet she says that they shouldn't be. And I was surprised by that going online the next few weeks because of the Omicron variant. And my question is really this, though, on that, not so much that it is surprising that the left is finally seeing the light, but is it possible that what we've seen with the lockdowns for the past two years, that in fact, that has prevented a Spanish flu epidemic or like a a Spanish flu epidemic and that the measures of a year ago are not really necessary now, even if you accept the measures, right? Given that the mortality rate is so much lower with this Omicron, I know its spread is faster, but it seems like they're not moving on and the virus is, you know. Well, remember that I think we're up to 60 million cases and the old ratio that most of the epidemiologists used was for every one case that we know of, there's four to five that we don't. So you could have easily 300 or 330 million have had exposure to it. And, you know, we're up to what, 853 or fourth yesterday, I think it was the 854,000. So we're going to hit a million deaths from it. And what the big shocking thing about it was what the left did and what the Biden administration did is they said, remember when Trump got COVID, he said, therapeutics, Regeneron, those antibodies. And then that leaked out, oh, he took vitamin D, Z, he took a steroid, he took Pepsi. But the point was, he was ranting and raving about how you treat it. And he was also doing the vaccinations and even gave lip service and let Fauci do the social distancing, but it was a multi-pronged effort. After that, then it was the holy grail was vaccination because Biden thought, well, I'm just going to do this. I'm just going to claim credit for the Moderna and the Pfizer, the J&J. It's mine. Nobody got vaccinated until I came in. That's literally, I'm quoting him literally. Yeah. 17 million people and one had been vaccinated a million a day. And I know that 96% of people with that are exposed to COVID won't get it if they're vaccinated. So it's done. So July 4th, it's, I conquered it. That's what it was. And everybody loved him for that because he was so kind and earthy and Joe Biden. And we didn't have those wild uh, COVID press conferences with the Scarf Lady Burks and Fauci, you know, memorizing his lines on TV for the CNN appearance coming up in an hour where he trashed his own president. And then we had 
you know, Scott Atlas, kind of the guy telling the truth that they all hated. And he was not going to do that. So that was the narrative. And then we found out that Delta came and it breakthrough, they said, but, you know, they were right. You know, if you get vaccinated, you get, I got Delta, I guess, wasn't that bad because I had the Moderna shots, but I don't know that there were people who didn't even know they had Delta. And then they said, but, you know, you get a booster. So let's get a booster. And now what does a booster do? Well, it doesn't prevent Omicron. It prevents a bad form of Omicron, I suppose. But the point I'm making quite laboriously so is where was the attention on drugs? Where was the attention on, why couldn't the CDC or the NIH just say, this week is the updated protocol. We suggest that everybody try to do the following. And here are the footnotes. For those who want to take vitamin D, here's 58 studies. For those who think they need zinc, here's 20 studies. For those who think quercetin uses, here's 100 studies. For those who think pepsid is still valuable, here's studies. Here's ivermectin. Here, and all of these do not have much of a record of serious side effects, but there are scientific support for all of them. And we're working on to find a mix. They didn't do that at all. And so what are we doing now? What are we doing right now, Sammy? So I'm sitting in my ancestral home and what am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to lock down and not talk to the guy who brought, you know, some vitamins to my house on Amazon today? Am I not going to go out to breakfast like I did yesterday? Am I not going to entertain my grandkids as I did today? Is that what they're telling me? What are they telling me? Do I go get a booster? But I had COVID and my antibody level is 2,400. I want to know. They don't have answers for any of that. All they have an answer is, if you say that, you know, vaccinations are not that much better than acquired immunity through previous infections, then we're kicking you off YouTube or you're the, and I can't take that any longer, that demonization of people who are scientifically minded and weigh cost to benefit analyses. I guarantee you that someday someone is going to do a systematic study of Pfizer, Moderna, and they're going to look at all the side effects and they're going to collate all the FDA warnings. And they're going to find out, not that they're, you know, they're not valuable in a cost-to-benefit analysis, but they're going to find out that whether it's women who shouldn't have mammograms within 90 days because of false positives, or young men healthy that might have a greater risk of cardiac problems, or some people might have ovarian cysts, they're going to find all of these things. And then they're going to find they're more prevalent than the flu vaccination. Uh, more people have died from this than the flu vaccination. I still think you should take it. That's why I got two. But they're going to find out this. And that'd be much preferable just to discuss it rather than just saying they're completely safe. So do you think that the reason for this lack of communication, of especially, for example, therapeutics, has to do with a complete panic on the part of the government or pharmaceuticals having some influence on what they allow to be an answer for COVID, right? (laughs) It's a mixture of both. We have too many, too much power in too few hands. So what's running this 50 to $80 billion federal health industry is the NIH the National Institute of Allergies and Infectious Diseases, the Center for Disease Control, the FDA, 
and everybody who's in the academic world or a researcher that needs a grant has to pay lip service to those people. Anybody who's in a university pays lip service to those people. Anybody who runs a huge hospital pays lip service to those people. They've got far too much power and they're in bed with pharmaceutical companies. And so this is a multi-billion dollar vaccination industry. And if you have $700 a pill for Pfizer, do you really want to be told that if you keep your vitamin D levels pretty high and your zinc levels pretty high and you keep your weight down and your blood sugar down and maybe you want to take a couple of supplements that have been in the news that have some efficacy and you want anti-inflammatories, antioxidants that are pretty much harmless, that you have a pretty good chance of not needing a $700 pill. I don't think you want that. And no. It's too incestuous. I mean, that Echo Health outfit and Anthony Fauci and the Wuhan lab, why didn't they just tell us that there was a connection there and there was a gain of function connection? And no one did. And then we had Francis Collins writing these emails to Fauci, basically telling them that we've got to try to really go after the Stanford epidemiologists and immunologists that were advancing an unhelpful mm. narrative and wasn't Fauci invested in some company that was making one of the therapeutics or something like that? That was some of the rule. I'm not qualified to adjudicate that. I do know, though, that there was a conflict of interest. I, and I yeah. think his wife was a bioethicist. She was a nurse. And somehow she's the head of the Department of what Bioethics at the National Institutes of Health. Yeah. So here you have somebody who is a federal bureaucrat, the highest paid federal bureaucrat, and he's doing things like admitting that he lied to people not to get a mask because he lied, he said, nobly, because they would go rush the mask. And so whatever, he's not truthful, he's not transparent, but yet his wife is the head of bioethics at the NIH that oversees <laughs> the NIH. So why would he ever be called up and said, you know, we've done an investigation of you're not very ethical. No. And that's typical of what we used to be ridiculed for is calling the administrative state, the swamp, an unelected bureaucrat who is deeply intermarried or related to other unelected bureaucrats that act as judge, jury, and executioner. And I wrote a whole chapter about this in The Dying Citizen before this happened, the COVID called the unelected. And they're very dangerous people. And uh, nobody really wants to talk about that. They're often I think a lot more like autocrats than anybody else in our society. Well, with the exception of CEOs, you know, they remind me of kind of like the Talleyrand bureaucrat yeah. who the Bourbons come and the Napoleon comes in and the Bourbons come back and Talleyrand stays. And that's the way they are. Their attitude is I don't want to go out in the private sector and have to push, push, push grants and operate and be a clinical doc. I just sit here and judge other people and I can't be fired and I make $450,000 a year. And they're not going to give up that position. And they're entrenched and they're going to make every decision based on what they feel is essential for their survival and their advancement. Yeah. And. Yeah. The question you had about these board memberships, you know, you get a lot of stuff on the internet and says, I think, I remember there were people saying that he was on the, um, the Pfizer board or he was on the, uh, what was it? The Bill Gates board at Microsoft. I don't think those were true at all. 
I don't know what board I don't know what board members that he's been board members he's shown, but we're now in the the era of we're sensitive to that because so many prominent people were on the Theranos board yeah. that collapsed. But yeah. I don't think any of these people that have such power should be on any board. I've seen so many people write emails. I must have 30. It's dear Mr. Hansen, dear Victor, what the hell's wrong with you? You're not going into the fact that Donald, that uh, Anthony Fauci is a multi multi-millionaire because of this uh, drug that he advocated, the Pfizer drug or the Moderna vaccination. Yeah. And I'm not, I don't, I don't, I've never seen any, any evidence. I'd like to see some, and I'm not being sarcastic. No, of that, course. Uh, that shows that uh, he, he has a conflict of interest, but I can't say that he does. All right. So I wanted then to move on because you did mention powerful people in our society. And I think our CEOs of our various social media are powerful. And this um, brings me to uh, at least two cases, but the very much talked about a representative Marjorie Taylor Greene being banned from Twitter for quote, violating COVID misinformation. And Joe Rogan interview of Malone, who is a doctor, was polled because he compared this current pandemic with measures used in the 1930s. And my question is for those two cases, because I know they've been much bantered over, you know, there's two interesting things that never has it been in our civilization where the ordinary person can influence so many people through social media. So the very power of individuals to put their voice out there has never been seen before. And then two, the ability of the owners of this social media to censor ideas. And so never has the censorship been so powerful in civilization, or at least in U.S. history, because every time I think about this situation, I'm always going back to the monarchies of the 18th century. And yeah, they had a lot of power to censor. And a lot of the ways of getting around it are being replayed today. But so what are your thoughts, though, on this powerful censorship? You know, the ability to just take it on. Yeah, the, the the divide is simply this. They are private entities, and therefore, they have a right to have all the crazy rules they want. If you don't like it, go somewhere else. Versus, no, not quite. They are monopolies that have bought up hundreds of companies, and now they control, in the case of Google, 90% of the search market on the internet, or Facebook, 70 or 80% in the United States, the Facebook social media accounts are Twitter, 85%. So they're monopolies. And just as we used to have to have the phone to, to talk to people, or we have to have wires that are electricity in the public domain, they don't own the air that their little waves come from server to motor to modem to router. That's our, and that has to be regulated because there are monopolies and that's the only means of communication we have. So they have to follow certain PUC as a public utilities commission rules and regulations. Now, how they get around that is interesting because what they do is they run over to people at Hoover Institution or the conservative movement or Republican senators or AEI or heritage. And they say, you know what? We're buccaneers. 
We're the Rockefellers. We're the Henry Fords. We're the entrepreneurs. We're the Wright brothers. You guys believe in free market capitalism, laissez-faire capitalism. Why? That's who we are. And then some guy on the right will say, well, let's not, let's not monopolize these. Let's not break these people up. They have a perfect right to do with that, what they're doing. That's what makes efficiency. They're captains of industry. And then they run right back over to the left and go, ha, ha, ha. The right's going to let us go. But you know what? You guys hate corporations, but you don't hate corporations that got money like we do. And we'll pour $419 million into pre-selected precincts to help you win the 2020 election. Or we promise we'll kick off everybody on the right and call them a nut, a conspiracist, and we'll let people on the left plan on FIFA riots. We'll have BLM violence that uses the internet. We'll do everything, but we'll let give that up. And that's how they, they function. And so, yeah, there are public utilities that should be regulated. And I think a lot of them should be subject to antitrust legislation and broken yeah. up. But they're not going to happen because the right has been so stupid that they've been flattered that these people have told them that they're their epitome of what free market economics can create. And it's not. They're monopolists. It's funny to Joe Biden. He's out, he's out attacking the meat industry. You know what I mean? Yeah. Okay, there's about five or six meat packers. I get it. But capitalism <laughs> doesn't work. That's why it prices. Come on, man. <laughs> the meat people are pikers compared to the market capitalization of about five companies in Silicon Valley. Five trillion dollars. <laughs> and you won't say a word. And you know the revolving door. The Silicon Valley just looked at the Pentagon and said, hmm, so let me see how this works. You get to be a four-star general by nodding and nodding about the woke movement, and then you leave, and Raytheon, General Dynamics, Lockheed, Northrop, they hire you because of your knowledge of the procurement labyrinth, and then they pay you so many shares and you end up a multi, multi-millionaire. I like that. So what we'll do is we'll tell every left-wing administration, go look at the people in the Obama and Clinton administrations that now hold high posts in Silicon Valley. There's thousands of them. And they're just a revolving door for left-wing apparatus. And so they go in, they mount that stuff, they go back to Google, they go back to Apple, they go back to Facebook, they go back to Twitter, they make their $2 million a year or whatever it is. And then they just hire, they tell people in the Obama or, or the present Biden administration, we're going to hire all you people. But why the hell would you break us up? We're part of your team. Look at the money we give. It needs to be broken up. Do you think that there's a big difference from the late 19th century captains of industry in the sense that these tech giants really seem to be interested in a lot of very anti-American things. Because if you go look at those captains of industry, they all created philanthropic you know, institutions to better Americans, to help the poor, the arts, you know, everything like that. But these guys are no, more interested. Yeah, they're, and they're, nor, they're globalists. So there is a Gates Foundation, but it's a global, they're all globalists. They don't believe in borders. They don't believe in a unique American identity. They don't believe in nationalism. They feel they're citizens, cosmopolitans of the world, and they're utopians, and they're arrogant. And this country is a different country than it was in 1860, 1870, 1880, where, you know, Carnegie came over here as an immigrant and scrapped Henry Ford. These were poor people, and they built came out of nothing. 
and they built the muscles of America. These are different people. And I mean, I use their products every day. I think they're wonderful, but I don't eat them. I don't drink them. I don't drive them. And we've got to have a, a sobering thought that if somebody takes away your iPhone tomorrow, life is going to be tough and you have to dot, use an old dial phone, but you're going to survive. Somebody takes away your car and somebody takes away your food and somebody takes away your water and somebody takes away your shelter and somebody takes away your police, you're not going to survive. So we've got our values all out of whack. These people are very valuable and nice adornments, but they're not the dessert. They're not essential to living. And they think they are. And they've really got it down. I mean, it is absolutely brilliant what they do. You got Mark Zuckerberg with $80 billion walking around in his flip-flops and tie-dye shirts while he builds walls around all of his estates, gets sued by indigenous people in Hawaii, lives the most illiberal, selfish life a man can imagine, tries to warp an election, but he's good old Mark Zuckerberg with a tie-dye t-shirt. And then you've got, you know, the rest of them. And... You know, Steve Jobs with his black outfit and Elizabeth, you know, Combs looked at that and thought, hmm, that's what I want to be. I'll wear all black and get a little microphone attached to my lapel and tell everybody that Theranos is so good. So they were a blend of greed, brilliance and 60s revolution and nobody thought they'd be exploitive. But they were the most exploitive. I, I kind of was prepared for them because when I was uh, 17, I went to some place that had just opened called UC Santa Cruz. And I don't want to be too discursive here, but I went into the dorm. My old dad brought me up. He was a grew up with nothing, you know, in a one-bedroom house, and he slept in the barn. It was he broke court. His dad broke courses. Who was a wounded World War One veteran. Guy had been on 40 missions overseas. He was farming. He was trying to be a high school coach. He wanted to be in a JC teacher. So he was a practical man. And when he went in, he dropped me off at the dorm, 1971. And somebody pranced in and came in the boy. He said, oh, me, you roommate. And my dad said, that guy hadn't taken a bath in a week. <laughs> and I said, I know it. And then he said, I got to go take a leak. Where's the bathroom? So they pointed him in and he came back and said, oh my God, there's women in there, Victor. There's a woman in there taking a shower in the boy's bathroom. I said, there is no boy's bathroom, dad. That's what they told me. And then we walked in, he goes, what's that smell? I said, they're smoking dope, dad. Well, why the hell are you here? <laughs> and I, he said, I thought this was the closest university. I put all three of you here, you save money. I said, dad, this is a, a weird old place. Come on. And so I watched these guys for four years and they sold dope and they shouted down speakers and they disrupted classes and they lectured on racism and they lectured everybody how pure they were. And on weekends, they went to the Bay Area or LA and they were really rich kids. The more they talked about racial injustice, the more they had never been around a black or brown person and didn't want to be around because they lived in enclaves. The more they talked about revolution, the more they were secure their parents would pay them all they wanted. I get the UC Santa Cruz alumni newsletter. I just look at the name sometimes. And you know what? These are people who I saw had never bathed, sold drugs, kicked in holes in the wall, shouted down professors, and they're like, up in 
editor at this major newspaper, Hollywood screenwriter, hedge fund director. They're about as revolutionary as my dog. You know what I mean? They're, it was all a phony thing with the left. And it was all medieval penance. I'm going to be a hippie. I'm going to worry about racial injustice. And then I get to keep all the loot and all the selfish lifestyles that I like. But I haven't seen any of them. The lives they live any way approximate the rhetoric that they pour out. All right. So if we can turn then to another subject, and I don't know if you want to make a prediction, but this one is going to ask for a prediction. I was reading in the Washington Times, and I know sometimes they have some pretty wild statements in the Washington Times, but the article was talking about the fate of the Democratic Party. And it basically said the fate of the Democratic Party is extinction. And then they went into all the reasons for that. And I wanted to ask you, uh, Victor, what you think the fate of the Democratic Party is, given that they've taken up so many unpalatable agendas recently that Americans just don't want. And what do you see in the future for the Democratic Party? Well, Joe Manchin was the Democratic Party that my parents were members of. And the only reason he persisted was he was from West Virginia that was nominally Democratic, but it was more conservative than most Republican states. That's the way West Virginia is. But look at Harry Reid, who just died at uh, 82, and he was like Joe Biden. They all, during my 30s and 40s, I remember that good old Joe Biden from Scranton, good old Harry Reid from Searchlight. And that was what the Democratic Party said it was, common guys that were going to work for your Social Security. But what they really were about was they had no principles. They were careerists. It's no accident that Harry Reid, like Pelosi and the rest of them, became a multi-multi-millionaire, just like Joe Biden. If you think you wanted to do business when Biden was vice president all the way down to his president, in Ukraine, you really needed Hunter. And Hunter made a ton of money. And if you wanted to get in on a federal contract or even a state contract in Nevada, or get a contract, or do business as a contractor, or subcon- you needed to talk to Harry Reid's three sons and his son-in-law. And that family became very wealthy. And they had no principles because during what they were for abortion restriction. They were tough on crime. They supported the original Iraq uh, invasion and the removal of Saddam Hussein, both Harry Reid and Joe Biden, most of those Democrats. And then Barack Obama came in and he thought, you know what? I size these guys up pretty well. They have no principles. They want a lot of money. They're kind of like me. And so I'm not going to give them any deference and I'm going to move the party to the left. And he did. And then they flipped and made a bunch of somersaults, and they became leftists. So there is no Democratic Party. They're all neo-socialite Jacobin. That's who they are. And it doesn't exist anymore. And that, I mean, let's say you're a Democrat now, and you say, hmm, I believe in a quality of opportunity, not equity of result. What's going to happen to you? I think that every country has to have borders and we should have legal, measured and diverse immigration, but not illegal mass and immigration from one place. What's going to happen to you? I believe that we should transition to a carbon free future, but it will take 50 years. So let's pump a lot of natural gas and oil and be independent of the Middle East and help the middle class. What's going to happen to you? 
I think that we have biological sex. I understand there's a great matter or there's some kind of group of very, very small was 0.001% of the population that are either born with ambiguous sexual organs or psychologically or through neurology or something that they have the wrong body and the wrong, there is a mismatch and we have to have make allowances for that. But what's going to happen if you say that? So, well, you know, you're they, asking they can't, that they, they can't exist. Yeah. What you're saying is that things that I think they're going to start saying, and then they're going to look back on their old selves and say, that wasn't me. I'm now this self. Because there's just too many people that don't are rejecting their I current think agenda. More, I think they're going to go with a cliff, just like the McGoverns took the Democratic Party over in 1972. The, yeah. You know, I wrote an article. I'll give you an example. Everybody says that we're peak woke. And I have said that because it's unsustainable. You can't have a guy with male genitalia and big, broad shoulders start wearing, you know, a wig or some type of weave and shave and then say he's a female swimmer and destroy female sports. He's done that. Yeah. You, it's just not sustainable. You can't let 2 million people across the border and say, for you, no vaccinations. Hey, you soldiers who had COVID and you federal workers, had, so what? You're going to be fired if unless you get a vaccination. We can't. That's not sustainable. Yeah. One more Afghanistan and we're through. If Iraq were to end up like Afghanistan or something comparable, we're through. Or the inflation, if it gets up to 9 to 10 to 12 percent, we're through. So it's not a sustainable proposition, wokeness, progressivism. You can't say, before I was born, there was racism in America against blacks. But for 60 years, we've had the civil rights era and not just redress of grievances, but repertory, $15 trillion in the great society of you know a half century of affirmative action. But you people who grew up you know, as young white men, 20 years old, who've never had a, anything given to you because there was no affirmative action for you, you're culpable for the sins of your great, 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 great grandfather, whom you don't even know and might not even, they might have been on Sherman's march to the sea to free slaves. Who cares? You're white. That's not a sustainable proposition. It's not. Barack Obama doesn't need anything. He's been given everything he wants uh, from the government and from society. He has no claims against society. He went to prep school. He was spoiled. He got into Occidental. He, we don't know what his grades were at Columbia. We don't know how he got into Harvard. We don't know how he was made a professor, offered tenure at Chicago. But we do know one thing. It was not based on a superb test score grades and prodigious scholarship, okay? And for him to whine, whine, whine about racism is pathetic. And so that's not sustainable. It's not sustainable. So the people know that. And what the Democratic Party now that's controlled by these Jacobins, these Robespierre types, they know it's not sustainable. Are they going to change? They never do. That's like saying to Robespierre, you know, the guillotine everybody. We're guillotine everybody. It's not sustainable. They're going to do it to us. You think he's going to stop? No. no. He's going to go build another statue to the God Radio or something. So that's who they are. And they're not going to stop. And they're just you're going to have to resist them and then they're going to destroy that party and it will something will take its place maybe it'll okay. still be called democrat it might be called democrats but it doesn't exist oh. now oh got it yeah they so they don't extinction in that sense i understand that yeah the constitution set up for a two-party system 
And so you're going to have to have a party of the center left, but the hard left, won't, that's what it is now, and it won't work. Sort of like what happened to the Goldwater right that went way right, and then Reagan came in and, you know, he rebooted it and made it presentable and coherent. Not that, it, you know, I, I kind of like Barry Goldwater, but it, the people who were gravitating to that position were going to get wiped out, and they did. 1964. Nixon was a pragmatist and then et cetera, et cetera. They didn't go back to that until when they did go back to it, Reagan was far more sophisticated. So that's what will happen. But I think people are sick of the left. The only difference that I see is that kind of like the long march of Mao, they've been so adroit at capturing these institutions that they have power that's independent and autonomous from politics, cultural power. You mentioned that at the beginning. I'm looking at my desk. I see on my computer a little Chrome and Google symbol. They control that. I have an email here from two universities that I'm affiliated with. One is not Hillsdale. Hillsdale is a shining beacon, but they're controlled by the left. I saw my granddaughter talked about school today. That's controlled by the left. I went into my Citibank account and looked at I looked at the, my 401 the other day, that's controlled by the left. I tried to avoid all professional sports over the New Year's holiday, but they were all controlled by the left. Every institution I've dealt with the last five years that I'm a part of and the academic community, the media community, it's all controlled by the left. Yeah, you're painting a very bleak picture then because what you're telling me is- Well, Sammy, what do you want me to say? As they go down this road, they're going to- what do you want me to do, Sammy of Sunny Book Farm? <laughs> well, I just want to be ready for the damage that they can do. Is what they've I done saying. it. They're doing it. They're doing yeah. it. They are doing it right now. <laughs> there are about oh, I want I don't want to be too explicit, but I have about four or five conservative friends at the Hoover Institution that are essentially persona non grata at Stanford University, and I'm one of them, but they have a lot of damage. I mean, I wrote two years working on The Dying Citizen only to find out that you couldn't buy it on day two. It was out of stock, and it was out of stock seven of the next 10 weeks. And then you call the publisher and say, it's not out of stock, Victor. There's 30,000 copies in repositories. (laughs) So that's the kind of power they have. That's true. All right. Well, Victor, we're getting um, close to the end of time, but we want to take a moment for a word from our sponsor, and then we'll be right back to talk about Elizabeth Holmes. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping 
dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Welcome back. And our last topic today is Elizabeth Holmes. I don't know how much you have to say about her, but she was just recently found guilty of four of 11 counts. And the four counts were either conspiracy or the commission of wire fraud. And she wasn't found guilty for defrauding patients or investors, which is what I found interesting myself in her case. But what are your thoughts on the Elizabeth Holmes case? I mean, I hope she gets a lot of years for what she did, but Oh, and just one thing, though, I I hope we all remember that I think in the Bible, it says somewhere that the person who didn't do something stupid at the age of 19 should cast the first stone. And I don't think anybody threw any rocks. (laughs) I think the problem with it is, and as I said to Jack on a podcast, you know, that John Kerry Rue, he wrote a whole series of articles for the Wall Street Journal and a book, you remember, and he laid it out. So here you had this 20-something young girl who dropped out of Stanford, pretty attractive, got in with the Silicon Valley crowd. There'd always been this sort of, uh, I don't know, it was the holy grail that you could just have a, everybody had thought about it. There were immunologists like John Yanis that warned that you couldn't just get one drop and tell a person's entire blood history and et cetera, et cetera. Okay. So she comes in and she's really brilliant. So she... She does the Steve Jobs stick with the black costume and the little earpiece and gets on the stage. And then she targets men my age. I'm 68. And she flirts around, flutters around. I saw her at a couple of Stanford events. And she gets them to be on her board. They don't know anything about, which is good, because she doesn't want them to know anything because she doesn't know anything about it either. (laughs) And she gets a lot of people that were my colleagues at the Hoover Institution, a lot of famous people, Henry Kissinger, head of Bechtel, Riley Bechtel, all of these people. And, you know, I'm not kidding, Sammy, as I said earlier. Go back to those early years. I don't know if it was 2005, 6, 10, all the way to 15. It was like, hey, Victor, did you hear what so-and-so made or what he's going to get or what he's valuable? It was like the thing to be in on. And if you were a friend of George Schultz, then you were lucky. And that was how it was. But it was never, oh, my God, this, this machine is just incredible. You take a drop and you can get 50 readouts of absolutely critical blood tests and they've all been adjudicated and tested and authenticated by traditional and it was never that mm-hmm. so it was always a ponzi scheme it was no different than bernie madoff and the reason that she's not going she was not found guilty of defrauding investors and patients. investors is because if she were to be found guilty i think there'd be a lot of people in the same boat because that's kind of the modus operandi, isn't it? You get an idea, and before it's judged, you know, viable or not, you go get a bunch of people and, and promise them a lot of money and you use their name and marquee status and hope that they give you a blank check and then you're off to the races. And that's what she did. And a lot of people were doing that. Her mistake is that she communicated her strategies apparently 
across state lines, you know, on electronic communications, and that's a felony. And the thing about those felonies are, in the real world, they may not be that grievous, but you look at the possible penalties for them, you can do a lot of damage to a person without saying that they defrauded investors, or et cetera, or hurt patients. We don't yeah, know how many patients were hurt by it because we don't know that hasn't been released, but there were obviously were a lot of patients that got false positives and false negatives that, that were stressed out or made were injured by it. You see sure. what I'm trying to get at, Sammy, I'm not doing a very good job and I apologize to the listeners, but there is something sick about this country. And that is this, we are a celebrity obsessed ABCs after your name country. And that's a veneer. That's all it is. It can be helpful. It can be indices of talent, achievement, but it's not in itself. So when you start to assemble these marquee names to hawk a product, it's kind of like turning on television and, you know, my pillow or something like that. I have no problem with it, but that's what it is. And to dress it up as, oh, Stanford-affiliated companies, Silicon Valley marquee, uh, da-da-da-da-da, where's black? That's what I don't like about it, because a lot of people gave them money. Not They were not all, you know, multi-billionaires like Rupert Murdoch yeah. and others that lost a, money, a lot of money. There were some small investors in pension plans, et cetera. But it's a reminder to all of us that you're only as good as what you did that day. And your reputation is good for your soul, but you have to live up to it and you have to either denigrate it or increase it and enhance it every day of your life. And if you forget that and you think that you are somebody and that you're important and you're going to lend your name and you're going to do this and you expect that, then you're going to be sorely disappointed. Mm -hmm. One of the things is that the people on that board could not have known, they didn't have the expertise to know the efficacy of that product. And they didn't have the expertise. I think there was Bill Frist and one other medical person, but they didn't have the expertise to know which questions to ask. And so they didn't. And they were there for one purpose, to give credibility to investment companies so they would take other people's money and give it to Elizabeth Holmes. And that's mm -hmm. what they did. And then they got a cut of the action. And so it's what happens in Silicon Valley and it happens everywhere. But yeah. There's something wrong with this society. I really, the older I get and the more I've been at Stanford University and I went there as a student and I, the more I speak on academic institutions, the more academics I meet, the more professionals I meet, the more people in politics. This idea you went to Stanford or you went to Harvard or it, it, and then the more I live out here, I've been here for 68 years and see people who have none of that. None of their money, none of their pretenses, none of their degrees, none of their resumes. And yet they do stuff every day that are pretty incredible. And yeah. when I see a power out and I see a guy just run over there, get on his truck and go up that power pole and deal with thousands of volts as if it's, you know, it's a minor little charge. I have respect for that guy or a guy that crawls under an ancient house and looks at a bunch of old pipes and figures it out like brain chemistry and starts to read pipe. I have a lot of respect for that guy or I have a real respect for some soldier who can shoot somebody at 600 yards. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. And I, I have a lot of respect for the working muscular classes. I don't have a lot of respect for this artificial aristocracy, unless they've done real achievement. I hate this thing where they say, 
so-and-so, you know, chairman of the board of this and, uh, you know, chairman of the board, chairman of the department of biochemistry at Yale or chairman of the psychology department or Bandy Yale psychologist says Donald Trump is, should be, you know, who cares? Or CNN longtime reporter with a resume, he worked with the Washington Post and New York Times. Oh my God, I'd keep that quiet if I were him. So that's our problem in this country. And that's what Trump is all about. People can hate him and they can say whatever they want about him, but he started, he took a match and he threw it into kindling and it blew up. And that match said, the world that you are told to believe is a fantasy and do not put your trust in this bi-coastal elite establishment. These are not the people who won World War II. They are not the people who built the country in the 1890s. They are not the people who won World War I. They're not the people who built the Hoover Dam. These are trimmers. These are the people who created these asymmetrical trade deals. These are the people who got us in Vietnam. These are that's what he was trying to say. And there was a lot of truth to it. Not all, but there was a lot of truth. Yeah. And that's why they hated the guy's guts. And our ruling class, that whole process of lying, it just seems to me that they're either really stupid that we're not living in a cyber world where everybody's watching everybody, or they're really cynical that I don't care if I lie. Tomorrow, I'll just say a different thing. And I'm in this position and nobody can stop me. I mean, that's that's a more scary thought than that they're just stupid and don't know cyberspace, you know? I don't know if that's it. It might be, but I don't think it's so bad to be called a liar anymore. Remember what Harry Reid said? Now he's canonized. He's lying in state tonight, probably. But he, they said to him, you repeatedly in the 2012 campaign, and this was a, a sympathetic 60 Minutes interviewer, something like that, said, you kept saying that Mitt Romney never paid his income tax. He did pay his income tax. You know that he paid his income tax. Do you want to say anything? It worked, didn't it? <laughs> and then remember James Clapper, General James Clapper. General Clapper, you're under oath before the United States Senate. Does the National Security Agency spy on Americans, given your knowledge as Director of National Intelligence? No. You know, a week later, you're a liar. We found that you do. Well, I told that I gave the least least untruthful answer. Oh my God. And they all Brennan, you know, is there collateral damage on assassination drone missions? No. Uh, did you spy on Senate staff or computers when you were head director of the CI? No. Later, I'm sorry, I got misinformed. James Kobe. I can't remember. I don't know. 245 times under oath. Bob well, you're showing, you're telling Bob. me that that their method is that they lie, and then the next yes. moment they apologize for it. And that so what if I lied? Oh, I'll just apologize for it, or I'll change the story, right? And they can get away with it. There's no consequences. There's no for consequences lying. for lying. There, no, there is no consequences for lying. In fact. There's something called noble lying, and that goes back to Plato, but they really twisted the meanings that you can just stand up there and tell thousands of people who, if you do believe that N95 masks can save your life if you're next to a COVID-infected person, and the head of the National Institute of Allergies and Infectious Diseases says they can't and don't go buy it, um, 
and he deliberately lied and you got sick, there were consequences, weren't there? But he would say, he would say, I did that for the greater good. You may got sick, but I saved lives because doctors had masks and they helped people. And so that's how they think. Most of the people in this whole woke movement haven't told the truth. Just very quickly, the whole BLM movement was based on lies. Remember what it was that Trayvon Martin was for no reason killed by George Zimmerman. And to get that lie to the jury, they had to Photoshop the picture of his wounds. They had to edit the 9-11 tape. It still didn't work. The whole BLM movement then took off after Michael Ford. Remember, hands up, don't shoot. Even Eric Holder's Justice Department found that was a total lie. Total lie. Whatever we say about George Floyd, it was tragic. But there were other elements to that story that we were not told that he had COVID, that he was using heavy amounts of drug, that he was a, a career felon, that he was passing a, probably a counterfeit bill. But to suppress that was a lie. To say that the, basically a car killed people at walk, Waukesha was a lie. And the left calls those noble lives because they advance social justice. And that's where we are. All of these people, and anybody can do it. I can go in tomorrow and lie, 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 and say, I'm doing it for the greater good of the society. And that's what's so scary about the left, you see, because they believe that their exalted superior moral ends, and they alone have them. Conservatives don't, Republicans don't, people on the right don't, but only they do because they care about the common person, the poor, the downtrodden, the oppressed, the victimized, that therefore any means necessary to achieve those ends are okay. And so said them all from the Jacobins to the Bolshevik. That was Sammy. I, that was a, a rant that was depressing, but we've got to end on one happy thought. And what is that? One happy thought. I think that Armageddon is coming for the left in the midterms. And as you said, the polls, and they can't stop it because that's who they are. They're the scorpion that took the frog they jumped on the frog's back. He took them across the river, and then he stung the poor frog. For And he said, the poor frog, as he died, said, why did you sting me after all the good I did? Because I'm a scorpion. That's what scorpions do. And this is what leftists do. They screw things up because they're ideological zealots, and they can't stop it. And they're going to be headed for an accounting in the election. They're going to do anything they can from the voting law to in the filibuster, but they can't get out of it. They created their own fate and they're going to have to meet it. Well, thank you, Victor, for that high note, I guess yeah. I'd say, on the end and that cultural analysis. We always appreciate that. Thanks to the listeners as well. You can find Victor at victorhanson.com. Thanks to the listeners and Victor, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yep. Yeah. And this is Victor Davis Hanson and Sammy Wink, and we're signing off.